Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. August 16th, 2017 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy uniquely justifies, upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I have to ask you here in the chat room, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Is it smooth? Is the quality choppy? What's it like? I'm connected on Skype right now, and typically I connect the through this thing that Blog Talk offers called Direct Connect, but today I tried multiple times. You can hear me okay. Okay, that's great. Um, I tried multiple times to connect via Direct Connect, and it kept bumping me off within a second or two after connecting. So it would connect. It would tell me how long until the show would start, and then, boop, I'd be bumped off, and it would ask me, what do you think of the quality of this call? slightly overloaded but not bad let me see if I can change the Skype audio settings because there is a little option here let me turn the volume down a little okay is that better am I not overloading as much I don't want it to be too hot how's that Robert is it better let me know He's a, he's a sound guy. Okay, good. Okay. So if you go over to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you see that I've got this huge topic, Charlottesville and the American sense of life. And, you know, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. I have only an hour that I can share with you guys today. I've got family obligations later that I make it so I can only spend an hour with you today Obviously, the issues that we're going to talk about here are not going to go away anytime soon. They'll be recurring. I've deferred the discussion of North Korea until next week. So Gianluca Spezza from Italy is going to call in next week to talk about North Korea. That's not going away anytime soon either. He was saying in a message that we were exchanging just before this show that, um, sorry, I'm getting all kinds of messages here. Um, Okay, one second. Sorry. Um, In a message just before the show, he was telling me that even though for now uh, Kim Jong-un has stepped down and and is not going to immediately go and bomb Guam on us or anything, that soon 
there's going to be news of how pitiful the crop season is and that that is going to inspire dictators, as it often does, to get more bellicose and, and uh, you know, fire off some missiles just to try to distract everybody from their misery. So, yeah, we'll be talking a little bit. If you go to the program notes, you'll see that we'll talk a little bit about distracting people from their misery under communism. Yeah, Rob is saying only 60 minutes. I'm sorry. This is all I can do today, unfortunately. Uh, short show, yeah, 56 minutes remaining at this point. Okay. we're Yeah, we're eating them away. Let's get started. Let's go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com. And I want to remind you, if you do want to call in and share some of your perspective on the events in, in Charlottesville and what it means for the American sense of life, then you can do that as well. I'm blocking my little camera because I'm on Skype, even though I don't think it's broadcasting to you guys. Video. NSA is always there looking at me. Sadness. Okay, so the number where you can call me is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. You can participate also here in the chat, as many of you are. So thanks for joining me. One thing I do want to urge you to do is listen to Yaron Brooks' show from yesterday about Charlottesville. It was really, really excellent. And some of the stuff that I'm going to say here today is just going to supplement and amplify what he had to say there. Um, quite wisely, we need to blame both sides. We saw both sides initiating force in Charlottesville. We've got both Antifa. Uh, some people are starting to call them the alt-left, but we have the alt-left and the alt-right both using violence against each other in Charlottesville. Ben Shapiro just recently published a piece, a little bit of research, showing that potentially the guy behind the you know, alt-right and Nazi and KKK demonstration in Charlottesville, the guy behind that may have originally been part of Occupy and an Obama supporter. If that's really true, and we got to go ahead and dig in and stuff, but I, you know, I, I trust Shapiro in terms of his his reporting, and I don't think he does fake news, so I think that he's giving you the best that he knows there. But it, you know, it will let you know that both of these sides are completely wrong. And I've done a little bit of battle out on Twitter, and I'll talk about Twitter in a bit. But some people are, you know, they try to say, oh, well, you know, what's wrong with the alt right? or Antifa, what, what is wrong with being anti-fascist? And let me just remind you that, first of all, the Antifa people will refer to as fascist anybody who's essentially not a communist, right? Uh, it's people who agree with them or fascists, basically. And so I would be a fascist, according to Antifa. So there's that. There's the misclassification of people as fascists who aren't fascists at all. And more importantly, it is the willingness to resort to violence to shut down people with whom they disagree, which they have demonstrated time and again. It happens to be that in Charlottesville, the person who died, actually we also have police officers who died because of both sides and, and what was going on there, but we had a woman who died. We don't want anybody dying in any of these conflicts and she happened to be killed. The, you know, the proximate cause of her death was somebody in the alt-right 
but it could have just as easily been someone who'd been killed by the left. Both sides were to blame. Of course, on the right, what do we have? We have horrible Nazis, KKK racists, and alt-right people who think they can march alongside them and get away with it. So it's a bunch of scumbags there on the right too. But yeah, the person who died in, in in Charlottesville could have just as easily been killed by someone on the left. And there are articles out there saying that because it did just so happen that the person who died was killed by someone on the right, and a lot of people with good reason focused on that, that the Antifa, the alt-left people, have been taking some sort of solace in that and gaining steam and traction and uh, believing that they're going to be able to shut down their opponents and continue to do it with their tactics of intimidation. And as we'll see in some of the stories that I'm going to talk about here, that seems to be coming true. Uh, there's been a an upcoming event, a White Lives Matter, as far as I know is what it was billed at, a White Lives Matter event has been shut down in Texas. And part of it is because of the promise of violent conflict. We've got a heckler's veto gaining traction. And I think this is one of the scariest things that's coming out. I mean, there's two things that are scary, that we've got this chaos going on. And as Ayn Rand warned, what are the two ways that we can destroy this country, dictatorship or chaos? And what's the chaos going to do? It's going to lead to dictatorship. So that's frightening in and of itself. Uh, But then the second thing is this idea of the heckler's veto, which was already gaining power before Charlottesville, that it might be gaining even more traction in the wake of this because we have people who are not thinking in principle about these demonstrations, about what we should allow and what we shouldn't allow. And then secondly, we have, and Yaron Brook was talking you know, eloquently about this yesterday, police refusing to do their jobs. They should allow people to express their views But at the same time, they should keep two sides that might be prone to violence separate, right? Um, So these are all issues that we want to talk about. As I said, if you wanted to call in and and talk about your thoughts on Charlottesville and and what it means for the American sense of life, 760-888-5817 is the number. Let me back up a second and talk about this idea of American sense of life. Those of you who have been listening to and following my show you know that I have been thinking about rephrasing, you know, some of the ways that I frame the show, particularly in the beginning and the introduction, and this idea of the American sense of life. Rand had this concept of American sense of life, and and what is the way that I can explain it in terms that you see out there in the more popular culture and the mainstream culture today? The way I would describe it is the implicit attitude of confidence in American exceptionalism. I think that's the way that I would best describe it. What what is what sort of implicit attitude do Americans have about what makes America great? Uh, mind you, I don't think that Americans today demonstrate everything that Ayn Rand would have said falls under the American sense of life. I think she would say that it has been degraded and warped and maimed 
if you look at Americans today, and we'll, and we'll talk about that. I'm going to go through some of the elements. But this comes from an essay called Don't Let It Go. That's the, the connection to the title of the show, the title of my blog, Don't Let It Go, and Philosophy Who Needs It. This book called Philosophy Who Needs It by Ayn Rand. It's a collection of philosophical essays. This one essay is called Don't Let It Go, published in 1971. And what Rand is warning is that this implicit attitude of Americans, which is comprised of a number of elements that we're going to go through and, and reflect on in, in light of Charlottesville here as best we can, um, this implicit attitude has been saving us from dictatorship in our country. Americans have implicitly held a number of ideas that have warded off, you know, warded off the impending threats of dictatorship. And what she said in this essay is she said, well, that can help you for only so long. And the way you might think about it, and she puts the analogy explicitly in, in the essay as well, is the implicit benevolence and um, sense of promise for your future, hopefulness and optimism about your future that you had in your youth, the idealism, the commitment to always do what is right and to speak out in favor of what is just and fair and your confidence in your ability to make your life what you want it to do, you know, want to do the uh, ability that you think you have to succeed in, in your chosen career, whatever it's going to be. All of those awesome, you know, attitudes that you had in, in your youth, often they're only based on it, implicit attitudes that you hold. It's not based on any sort of explicit ideas about how you should govern your life, what is the you know right way for a human being to live, what is your rightful place in the world with respect to your fellow man and in relation to your country and all of these other things. And if you don't make the ideas behind that youthful idealism and optimism, if you don't make those ideas explicit, you're not going to survive and maintain that attitude through the course of your life, and you're not going to be able to achieve your goals. Now, not everybody's always going to be able to achieve all of their goals anyway, but what you know for sure is that if you don't take the right approach and the right steps, guided by the right ideas, then you're not going to have any hope of doing it. You can't just try without any, any particular direction. You need that roadmap. You need a, a set of explicit ideas, you need a philosophy. Similarly, a country needs those things. And whereas this implicit attitude of Americans has preserved us thus far, it's not going to be able to continue to do so. So the question we're going to ask here in light of revisiting these different factors is, what does Charlottesville and its aftermath say about the American sense of life? And I, I'd say there's both good news and bad news. The bad news, of course, is the horrible chaos and, and reviewing what actually happened. We have people on the extreme right and left in this country who are willing to go someplace and start fighting in the streets, and it resulted in the death of one person who was participating on one side of the demonstration. And that you know, and and arguably a more innocent type, uh, unlike you can't really have that on the other side, and we'll talk about that. But the other thing is, we've got two state troopers who also died in this conflict, and so the the truly bad news 
is that you're having an increasing number of people who are willing to resort to violence. I still think it's a very small minority and it's a small fringe, but the spectacle of this as it's been spread throughout the news and social media is, I think, having an effect on people. There's a danger in looking at this and thinking that things are hopeless, that everybody else is going to have to be ready to take up arms soon and every right now. So what one thing that I think we need to do is put this in perspective that we're still dealing not necessarily with a, a lunatic fringe, but a, a, a fringe that's a bit unhinged at least is the, you know, the people who are actually willing to go out there and take to the street and use violence in this way. There's a very vocal minority that's out there on social media that could make this fringe seem more powerful than it is. But as it stands, I'd still say, say, okay, this is a fringe element and we need to reject it. We need to take very uh, definite steps to prevent the growth, the spread of this fringe, the empowerment of this fringe. And unfortunately, I think that statements from our president and things that are being done like at Texas A&M and stuff are only fanning the flames that uh, we have you know, seen witness to in, in uh, Charlottesville. But yeah, still a fringe. This is disturbing. The, the good things that I think are coming out of this is that there is a rejection of both sides among, I think, the healthier Americans. And what we've seen reported in the media is that we've got leaders in both business and military rejecting Donald Trump's unprincipled approach to Charlottesville. So we're going to take a look at that. So, you know, just, just to give you kind of the, the, the overview. Overall, I am not insanely pessimistic about this. Uh, you know me from this show. Yaron's the eternal optimist, and I'm kind of the struggling optimist more if you want to look at you know, people in the objectivist movement. He, he is a lot more consistently optimistic than I am. But here, you know, I can look at this and analyze it more intellectually at least and say, okay, look, this is still fringe, regardless of what the media is trying to make out of it. And if we as Americans buckle down and and do the things that we need to do to preserve the American sense of life and certain elements of it in both ourselves and to spread it throughout the culture more generally, I don't believe that all is lost because there was violence in, in Charlottesville. There's been violence amongst segments of the population in past eras as well and things have not immediately gone to hell so let you know let's let's take a look at some of these things but there's a nice guide to the charlotte aftermath a summary that the new york times put out there you can take things from the new york times with a grain of salt i've got a new york times piece that we're going to make fun of in a bit but uh, you know what do we have here we've got First, you know, the summary of, and this is in, in reverse chronological order, I suppose, or not exactly, not exactly reverse chronological order. He's looking at the, at the response. So Saturday, when the events occurred in, in Charlottesville, first, Trump condemned, quote, the egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. And of course, the New York Times complains, well, he didn't single out the white nationalists or the neo-Nazis. And 
again, I, I can understand why you are going to want to, you know, single out the white nationalists or neo-Nazis in this particular event, because whereas you could see on the one side, you know, if people were marching with the Antifa side, they, I think people on that side could be a little bit more confused about what it is that they're supporting. I mean, after all, we're, you know, we're just fighting Nazis and I had people engage with me on Twitter, you know, uh, what's wrong with Antifa? It's anti-fascist. We do have to be clear about what Antifa proper their organization is actually about. But at the same time, I could see a lot of people would want to go against the white nationalists and and the Nazis and the KKK, all these racists that you would want to march against them. Um, so yeah, you would single them out. They were the ones who caused the death in this case. You know, the guy who drove the car was a total, you know, racist Nazi scumbag. Uh, but at the same time, New York Times is not willing, and you're not going to see probably in the New York Times stories like you see from Daily Wire looking behind this particular event and who was the organizer and that it may have been a former Obama supporter and that the collectivists on the left and the right aren't that far apart after all. That's not the kind of acknowledgement that you're going to see from the New York Times. Now, next in the chronology, we have Trump on Monday. He had his little prepared statement, and I put a link to that statement in the program notes as well. Racism is evil, and then he did explicitly call out criminals and thugs, including the KKK, the neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that they're repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans, end quote. Prepared statement. People were reporting that this was basically done under duress because people were complaining. And yes, as Shapiro commented, isn't it sad that our president feels that he only has to do that because he's getting pressure from people. But then we have the conference from yesterday and he, you know Trump comes back doubling down he says he's declaring furiously at a conference on Tuesday quote you had a group on one side that was bad you have a group on the other side that was also very violent nobody wants to say it I'll say it right now end quote now that's not necessarily wrong right yet you know Antifa has been very violent they've been doing the heckler's veto and stuff but he needs to explain more um, and then, of course, Trump said some things that I would regard as very anti-American yesterday as well. Uh, I'll go back to the program notes so we can actually go to what he said, but refer to the Charlottesville aftermath. They also talk about in that aftermath the people who have left Trump's manufacturing council and stuff after his statements that they're not very happy about it. Uh, he mocked, Trump mocked the head of Merck Pharmaceuticals, who is black for quitting the American Manufacturing Council. And there's some real, just nasty tweets out there from Trump. And I've been out there on Twitter trying to respond to those. You know, he, he's basically threatening with regulation and their prices are too high and everything else. Chief executives also from Intel and Under Armour also resigned from the board. A fourth board member, who is the president for the Alliance for American Manufacturing, stepped down yesterday. So now we have four people stepping down. We had Walmart's chief executive also criticized Trump 
in a statement that you can actually read. It's on their internal website, but it's available for viewing publicly. You can look at that. But he decided to go ahead and stay on saying that he thought he could do some good, I guess, you know, fighting for better ideas on the council. And then the Times is reporting that more business leaders are outraged in private, but they fear the consequences of speaking out. So that's scary. But what I think is a really good sign is that you have these American businessmen willing to speak out against their president, even when the president is coming back. You know, the first guy who did it got an implicit threat in the tweet, basically, we're going to come and regulate you for your outrageous prices on drugs, Merck. Um, Nonetheless, these business leaders are resigning. Now, when I was out there on Twitter saying, okay, isn't this great, you know, that these people are are resigning? Um, And then I said something about, you know, maybe this Merck guy, he needs to spend the extra time not, you know, doing what you think he should do, Mr. Trump, but maybe he's needing to brace himself for the regulatory environment that's going to continue under Obamacare and that you're threatening even more, right? Um, What do people come back? They They say, oh, these businessmen, they're not actually quitting the council on principle, right? They're not quitting on principle. It's just all about you know, profits and they're just doing it because of business reasons. It has nothing to do with principles at all. There are Americans out there on Twitter, even when you have a businessman standing up against Trump because of his refusal to single out racism and criticize racism in a principled way, when businessmen step down and say, no, we're not going to work with an American president who does this, everybody says, oh, no, no, it's not about the principle. It's about their business interests. So that is disturbing to see. Now, how many of those people that I see on Twitter are actually representative of what Americans think? It's hard to say, but what I do know is that there are still a whole lot of Trump apologists that are unfortunately out there on, on Fox news. Um, You know, they're touting exactly what a lot of people are saying. Well, no matter what he says, it's not adequate and no one's ever going to be satisfied. And um, they're, they're not giving the sort of principled statement about these events and what Trump should have said that, for example, Yaron Brooke was, uh, you know, talking about yesterday in his show. All the commentary is either knee jerk, pro Trump or anti Trump without principles behind it. And that's disturbing. That's the thing that that you don't like. But I do like that these businessmen feel that even though they are under the threat of regulation, that they are going to step down. The other story that I saw earlier today that I'm heartened by is you have U.S. military leaders who are speaking out against this and distancing themselves from Trump's more equivocal statements. Um, There's some photo going around an image that, that there's, it's the, what is it? Yeah, there was an image of a man who wore a hat bearing the 82nd Airborne Division's emblem while rendering what appeared to be a KKK salute. And what did the 82nd Airborne Division Twitter account put out there as a statement. They say, respectfully, 
Anyone who thinks this man represents our culture and values has never worn the maroon beret and never will. That's what they tweeted referring to the image. Then they added, our World War II airborne forefathers jumped into Europe to defeat Nazism. We know who we are. We know our legacy. Anyone can purchase that hat. Valor is earned, is what they said. Now, this Business Insider story that I'm reading from, which is in the program notes, is you know, also recounting that Trump speci- did not specifically at first call out white supremacists. But then in televised address on Monday, he did. But then he had the press conference on Tuesday, returning to the original position, et cetera, labeling multiple parties and complicit in the unrest and seeming to defend some of those who seek to protest the statue. That Those are probably the most disturbing statements, right? Because it's not necessarily bad for Trump to say, look, both of those groups that were there are prone to violence. It would be better if he was very principled about it and said, okay, both of them are prone to, to violence. In this particular case where you have Nazis and KKK, anybody who marches alongside Nazi and KKK is sanctioning those disgusting racists and shouldn't be there. Um, and, and moreover, we know that those people are prone to violence. Uh, on the Antifa side, again, those people are prone to violence. They've resorted to heckler's veto at many events throughout the country. We've seen it. So at the same time, you could say, okay, the, the people on the left, it just so happens that this time the death that was caused was caused by the people on the right. And he could talk about this. But where he ended up losing any credibility in talking about the violence on both sides is when he's talking about the removal of the statue. And he equated the removal of the statue of Robert E. Lee with a hypothetical removal of a statue uh, of Washington or, or Jefferson or anybody else. So let me see if I can get down to those statements. He had at the beginning of his little conference just a very kind of bland uh, statement about infrastructure and everything else. I've got him in my ear at the moment. I think I'll turn that off. Um, Now, oh yeah, why do you think CEOs are leaving the manufacturing council was the first thing that they asked him. And he says, well, they're not taking their jobs seriously as it pertains to the country. The focus should be on jobs and manufacturing. To, to me, what he's saying here is, you think you're going to make a principled statement in, that, you know, disagreeing with me about my policy about Charlottesville, my reaction to Charlottesville. No, what you really should do is you should leave your principles at the door. You should come on my manufacturing council and you should help satisfy the demand for American jobs. He says, and, you know, and he's trying to attribute the leaving, you know, these people leaving the council to other reasons. Some of the folks, they're leaving out of embarrassment because they make their products outside. And I've been lecturing them, including the gentleman that you're referring to, about you have to bring it back into the country. So, yeah, it's not all about this. It's just because he's been making them feel bad. Why? Because, and the way I'll put it is, they're acting as American businessmen. What should Americans do? Americans should get the stuff from wherever it's going to be best supplied to them. They don't 
have to source everything here in America, not their labor, not their raw materials, not anything else. But it's Trump who's got this anti-American policy. So, you know, he's saying, oh, well, it's not about my stand on Charlottesville. The the timing, of course, tells you that it is about his stand on Charlottesville. Uh, The statements of the, you know, the heads of the companies tell you that it's about his stand on Charlottesville, his lack of taking a principled position on Charlottesville, the events of Charlottesville. That's what they say it's about. They left right after. They say it's about that. But no, no, it's not about that. It's about this other anti-American thing that I'm doing. It's about his insistence on sourcing everything from America. So, I mean, he can try. He can try to scapegoat that or blame them. I don't think it, I don't think it's working. I don't think Americans are buying it. Americans are probably not going to buy this either, which I think is good. Um, then they're talking about why did you wait long? And I think what they're saying is why why did you wait so long to make a statement about the KKK and the Nazis, right? I didn't wait long. I wanted to make sure, unlike most politicians, that what I said was correct and not make a, a quick statement. Um, don't make a statement until you know the facts. Well, what else do you need to know except that there were Nazi and KKK guys marching and that it resulted in the death caused by one of their members? Anyway, he says, now he says, when I, I, I make a statement, I want to be correct. I want the facts. Um, and then they talk about, you know, people said nice things about him. I mean, he just deflects. He's just so bad. And you know, if you look at his, uh, oh, and then he asked, how about a couple of infrastructure questions, which is just great because he doesn't want to talk about Charlottesville. He just wants to talk uh, about infrastructure and, you know, oh, we're going to create jobs and everything. Um Walmart. Walmart Walmart CEO said you missed a critical opportunity to bring the country together, did you? He says I've created a million jobs, the country is booming in the blah. He doesn't want to talk about it. Right? He doesn't want to talk about it. Um doesn't want to make a fast statement, he said he you know, have to, to know things first. I have to have to know the facts. So he says, Well and they're not gonna let him rest, right? Which is great. Is this terrorism? How do you feel about Bannon, right? Because Bannon is linked with the alt-right and the fact that Bannon is there as a strategist, I think is fueling these people. I agree with that idea. He says, uh, the driver of the car is a disgrace to himself, his family, and his country. You can call it terrorism, call it whatever you want. I would just call it as the fastest one to come up with a good verdict. Is it murder? Is it terrorism? Legal semantics, murderer, horrible, inexcusable. Um, I would call it, of course, terrorism, right? I wouldn't say that this guy is a, quote, lone wolf. He's a disgrace to himself. He's a disgrace to the whole group. He's also a disgrace to everybody who marched alongside, including members of the so-called alt-right or anybody who decide they want to march alongside those races. But no, he's not going to say that. He's not going to condemn the people who would march alongside the Klansmen and the Nazis. In, in Charlottesville. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to just talk about the guy himself. Um, uh, talking about Bannon and his friends and, oh, the unfair press and, oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, continue with that. We don't need this. Um, then McCain. Uh, the alt-left. Well, what about the alt-left? 
do they have any guilt? He says, what about the fact that the alt-left came charging? They came charging with clubs and swinging clubs. Do they have a problem? I think they do. It was a horrible, horrible day. And that and that's that's true. That's fine. Um, he says, I watch very closely. And he says, you had one group on one side that was bad. And you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say it. I'll say it right now. You have a group on the other side that came charging in without a permit. And they were very, very violent. Now, as far as I understand, if there's one group that has a permit and they are there for a demonstration, other people are allowed to come too. It's a public place. I don't think that the other place had to have a permit. They were just there reacting to the other people. So it somehow is the alt-right, I mean, excuse me, the alt-left more at blame. They say, do you think what you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? He says, um, says, excuse me, I've condemned them. He says, but not all of those people were neo-Nazis. Believe me, not all of those people were white supremacists by any stretch. Those people were also there because they wanted to protest the taking down of the statue. He says, if you look at some of the groups, you would not know it if you were honest reporters. In many cases, you are not. But many of these people were there to protest the taking down of the statue. Uh, He says, is George Washington next week, Thomas Jefferson the week after? You know, you really have to ask yourself, where does it stop? So he is equating, and Jerome Brook was excellent on this yesterday as well, um, the taking down of the Robert E. Lee statue. And who is Robert E. Lee? Robert E. Lee is not just a slave owner, right? They talk about, oh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, they were slave owners, and so you're going to take down their statues as well. Robert E. Lee was very different because, as Jerome pointed out yesterday, he was not only a slave owner, he went to war in order to fight for slavery, the perpetuation of the institution of slavery. And he's saying, no, it's okay to protest the taking down of the statues. I do not think so. You have somebody there, that statue, maybe at one point it had its place. Uh, you know, I would say probably not. Where you put it properly is in a museum, as Jerome was saying yesterday. You put that thing in a museum, and this is different from George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. George Washington freed his slaves in his will. Thomas Jefferson apparently treated slaves well. They were ambivalent about the institution. They made compromises. They did own slaves. This is not good, but they are very different from Robert E. Lee or other Confederates out there. Uh, What would Trump say about the statue? It's up to a local town community or the federal government, depending on where it is located. Are you concerned about race relations and everything else? They went ahead and asked him. Um, Are you putting these two groups on the same plane? He says, I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side, you had a group on the other, and they came at each other with clubs, and it was vicious and horrible. It was a horrible thing to watch, but there's another side. There was a group on this side, you called them the left, um, but came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's, the way it is. So he's trying to put the blame more on the left than on the right. And that, of course, is un- unjustified. I wouldn't necessarily do that. What you need to do in order to do that is you need to get behind it like Shapiro is doing. Uh, later, he talks more elaborating about the statues. Was George Washington a slave, over, sl- slave owner? So is he going to lose his status? going to take down the statues because they were slave owners, etc. Equating that. Um, 
He says there were people in the rally who were very quietly protesting the taking down of the statue. Um, He says there were a lot of people who were very innocently protesting there. At one point, and I don't know if it was in this uh, news conference or in a different one, he talked about there were very fine people. And there was a great tweet with a video out there by Jake Tapper that I stuck in the program notes that you can take a look at. He says, searching for the very fine people in this march, the very fine people, of course, that's language of Donald Trump. And I agree uh, with your own there that if you are marching alongside these alt-right people, or in particular, if you are a member of the alt-right and you're marching alongside the KKK and the Nazis in Charlottesville, then you're a bad person. You are condoning their message and what they are about. Now, there's a lot of people talking here in the chat room, and I've watched the volume, but not. Now, let's see. The Unite Right organizers had a permit to hold a public rally. Yeah, that's the thing. I think they had a permit. Um, In the chat room, alt-right is alternative right, not just extreme conservative, but extreme principles. Um, what else? Yeah, I don't think you have to have a permit to show up to do a counter demonstration once there's a permit for the original. Stuart in the chat room says, very disturbingly, I see the right-wing people on Twitter saying that Google should be hit with an antitrust suit to punish for the political correctness. Yeah, that's part of... I, I did a little bit of battle on that issue on Twitter. Just in general, I'm doing a little bit more battle on, on Twitter, and part of it is me trying to demonstrate one aspect of the American sense of life, which is defiance, right? Defiance, not obedience. But let's go through some of these elements of the American sense of life, and and I'm going to try to relate it back to what we've seen both from our president, modeled by our president, and in some of the aftermath in Charlottesville. And we've talked about these elements before, these concrete elements. It's in the essay, Don't Let It Go, from Philosophy Who Needs It. Rand says the best way to explain this attitude, this implicit attitude that Americans have behind, what what makes Americans exceptional? What is the optimism and the benevolence and the happiness behind Americans? What are the ideas that are there? What are the different facets of what you would say is this, this gem? First of all, it's the contrast between the European attitude that we belong to the state versus the fact that we are independent entities, that we refuse to be pushed around by anyone. Now, what you could say is you have these very warped groups saying we're not going to be pushed around anymore. We're going to go out in the street and and take to arms. But both of these groups, the alt-left and the alt-right, are horribly misguided. The alt-left, the Antifa people, are labeling as fascists anybody that disagrees with them and their desire to be taken care of by the state. These are communists. They want a totalitarian regime. They just want it to be a regime of the left. And anybody who stands in their way of achieving their socialist utopia is thereby a fascist. And they believe that they are justified in using violence to shut down the speech by anybody who disagrees with them. And they would come and do the same to me right now if, if they could. They would try to shut me down, uh, and they'd think it was right to use any sort of force or talking over me or whatever. 
in order to achieve that aim. They are about intimidation. They are about the heckler's veto. On the right, of course, we have these racists, these people who are anti-immigration. I've been doing battle with some of those people on Twitter. I got a death threat from one of them due to my comments on Fox News. There's a guy who's out there just throwing out death threats apparently at a lot of people due to a pro-immigration policy. And again, I'm not a person who believes in no borders. I believe in border checks. I've talked about it a million times. Um, But the border checks need to be made with reference to the principle of individual rights on which our country was founded. And if it's not, you are you know, you are promoting an anti-American policy. We have to have objective law. If we're going to have government, government needs to act on objective criteria. And those criteria have to do with a violation of individual rights, which means an initiation of physical force, not just carrying around certain cultural ideas in your head. And if you guys are racists and you want to keep out people based on their race, or their stated religion, regardless of whether they're actually going to be acting out on these ideas. I, I, I don't know what to say to you, but point being is that people on the right are willing to engage in intimidation tactics and also threats of violence. There was an article, and I couldn't find it again. Um, maybe somebody, you guys can find it and stick it in the chat room, but it talked about the number of deaths caused by the extreme right attacks like Charlottesville in our country since I believe the year 2000. So they're talking about domestic terrorism as opposed to Islamic terrorism as opposed to jihad. And I'm a great, you know, opponent of Islam and jihad and everything else, just like everybody else. But if you focus on domestic terrorism, these groups, the left and the right, as it stands right now, the left has not caught up with the right since the year 2000. There have been, I think it was something like 36 deaths caused, by attacks from the right. I can't remember the number exactly, but the number of deaths caused by the KKK Nazi faction on the right, the anti-immigration faction on the right, exceeds that on the left. So the idea that somehow they're good and only Antifa is bad is is not good either. And you know tr- the way Trump was talking about the two groups is pretty disgraceful. Um, in any event, yeah, so you'd say, okay, you know, these two groups are saying we're not going to be pushed around any longer. We're going to take to the streets and it's going to be demonstrations and we're use, willing to use violence if we have to. We're going to fight. We're just, you know, fighting in the great American spirit of revolution. No, you are not. You are fighting in the name of warped, wrong, anti-life ideas. And so, no, that that's not what it is. Now, what about any of the response to these groups, the ideas of American as an independent, any, I don't know that in the response to these two groups, you can see any of that. Um, admiration of American achievement and the earning of money. I'm afraid in the aftermath, I haven't seen a lot of good from that. As I said, when I was out there on Twitter cheering or defending that Merck CEO, for resigning from Trump's manufacturing council, whatever it is, his council of James Taggart's out there. You know, you could say, okay, should that council even exist? But at least you could cheer somebody for resigning from that council on a on a principle like this guy did. Uh, when I tried to do that, 
I was met on Twitter at least with people who are saying, oh, no, businessmen. Businessmen are just, you know, out for trampling all over their fellow Americans. They're not really acting on a good principle in any way, shape, or form. I think Americans are too willing to discount corporations or big business as such, and they don't make that separation that I was trying to urge for on Steve Hilton's show, the separation between somebody who is an innovator and a producer who has made America great, an honest, good businessman who produces value. They don't distinguish between that and the crony type. I put a meme out there trying to make a distinction, and I used the old brain on drugs, you know, here's your brain, here's your brain on drugs, the eggs and stuff. It didn't go over at all because people are like, the the cronyism, the, you know, corporations on cronyism, they look delicious, the fried eggs, you know, we want to eat them. So I failed. I'm going to have to keep trying with the memes. I'll have to keep trying. But Americans out there were basically, you know, discounting the earnestness of these big businessmen who are resigning from Trump and the statements that they're making. And to me, that was sad. Americans should, as Rand wrote in this essay, admire achievement. And you shouldn't be so willing to discount a businessman simply because he's the head of a big corporation. Now, what about the idea of feeling respect for our public figures and being willing to take initiative and, and, and also speak out against our public figures as well, you know, treating our public figures as equal. I would say there's been a lot of good demonstration of the American sense of life out there on Twitter and willingness to speak out against Trump. But at the same time, in some sectors, you see a lot of people willing to apologize for our president still. I'm, I'm hoping that we will see more you know, the CEOs of the big businesses in, in particular, they feel like they have, I guess, you know, I guess enough power, enough obligation to stand up against the president when the president is wrong. We have our military leaders who are willing to make statements that contradict or at least, um, you know, go a lot further than the statements made by the president. They distance themselves from him. And we'd like to see, I would say, a lot more of that. Um, and we also have politicians, right? We have a number of politicians who were willing to make statements that were, you know, strongly condemnatory of the KKK and the right wing there in Charlottesville in contradistinction to Trump. Uh, now, what about this idea of and this is one thing that Rand talks about in the essay, that Europeans see themselves as living emotionally in a world made by others, and that Americans, by contrast, have the attitude that was expressed in this poem, The Westerner by Badger Clark. The, you know, the real kind of iconic quotation is, the world began when I was born and the world is mine to win. How do Americans see the world that they live in post-Charlottesville, in light of Charlottesville, I think Americans are in danger of, and I think I've been in danger of this myself, which, you know, I feel it myself, which is why I'm saying this is a danger. The danger is to look at Charlottesville as bigger than it is. As I said, we still have these groups as being very fringe. 
we still have the ability to speak out in principle against the collateral damage that comes out of Charlottesville. So, for example, if Antifa is somehow feeling that it's been, you know, supported or, you know, because everybody's condemning the the alt-right and the Nazis and everybody else, if Antifa feels itself gaining steam, if Antifa feels like it's been morally reinforced, it's going to go out and be reinvigorated and and uh, try to exercise the heckler's veto more. We are still able to speak out in principle against this. And I see people in the culture who have a lot of influence who are doing that, like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro has just been a powerhouse. And everything post-Charlottesville. I cannot recommend more highly going to Daily Wire and just looking at all of his coverage. He will speak out in a principled way against both of these groups and do his very best to give you the the factual reporting on the ground. Like I said, you know, maybe the guy who organized the demonstration on the right was originally from the left. Uh, it will just show you that these totalitarians of both stripes are the same. In fact, you know, I had a, a, a really good friend who I had reconnected with just very briefly and had a conversation and said that uh, he said that he had originally been a Bernie Sanders supporter and then ended up voting for Trump. And he seemed, you know, I didn't have a, a whole lot of conversation about politics, but some, he, he seemed to have some of the attitudes, the pro-Trump attitudes that you've seen almost on the alt-right. There's not so much difference between these groups. And you could see people kind of flipping from uh, one to the other and being able to appeal from one to the other. It's the same sort of, you know, this idea of, of mysticism, of putting some sort of uh, stock in a collective of human beings, the collective above the individual and everything else. The attitude is there. Um, so, but this is still fringe. This is still fringe. This is really the thing that I want to emphasize is that it's still fringe, that we still need to try to remember that. We need to try to do everything we can to keep the fringe in its place. We need to speak out in principle against both sides of this. We need to recognize that, yeah, the death was caused by the right wing, but next time it could just as easily be the left wing. And the fact that the left wing is gaining the heckler's veto and gaining steam is perhaps the most dangerous thing to come out of this, not to, you know, uh, discount the tragic, and I, I, you know, you don't, you don't want to say the tragic death of this woman. It, it, it's tragic that she died, but I would not have put the description of how she died. It was like the tragic murder of, it, it was an atrocity that there's this guy out there fueled by racism and, and, you know, Nazism and everything else, you know, KKK, and he's going to go and just plow a car into people indiscriminately and discount the value of individual lives to that extent. That is an atrocity. You don't say it's, oh, it's tragic. That's another thing that's telling in the language of Trump that he described it as a tragedy rather than as an atrocity. I want to discount the death, but the thing in terms of the long-term survival of the United States that's going to be very important is continuing to have a conversation in our country, a um, you know a, a uh, conversation with decorum, a peaceful conversation without resorting to violence. 
And if you allow the heckler's veto to have power, which seems to be what the immediate reaction has been so far, that's going to be scary. Is there still in our country what Rand described as, and again, I'm returning to the essay and the different factors, is there still a breach between the American people and the intellectuals in this country? Rand described in 1971 that in Europe there was a culture of mysticism, lethargic resignation, a cult of suffering, its notion that misery and impotence are man's fate on earth, and et cetera. Now, what about America? In America, we believe that man has a place to achieve his happiness in this world. The, it's the, you know, the world for us to win. And we actually you know, don't believe in this, this kind of spirit of resignation and everything else. Today, what we have is, I would say, a growing culture of public intellectuals who are willing to, you know, sort of defer to our president and defer to collectivism of various stripes. So we have, in our public intellectuals at least, a number of people on the left and the right who are apologizing for these extreme elements. Um, Anyone who's apologizing for Trump, given his statements, is, I think, also thereby, you know, kind of transitive property, becoming an apologist for some of the extreme right. You're helping to fuel that. The people on the left, the New York Times, who is not willing to acknowledge Antifa's side in this, they are becoming apologists for the left. And there are very few people in the culture, you know, in our public intellectuals, who are speaking on behalf of individualism, the principles behind this country in, in terms of the, you know, our rights and, you know, ha- have, having that proper understanding. I'm going to, oh God, I'm almost out of time here, but Ted Cruz is an example. God, I've only got two and a half minutes left or something. This is ridiculous. Um, Ted Cruz is an example. Ted Cruz said he was happy about the rally in at Texas A&M being canceled. And to me, that's a disturbing thing. Um, we need people to go out there and continue to speak on principle. So here I am, I'm running out of time. Sorry to tell you, I'm not actually getting the woman in my ear telling me how much time. Oh, there I go. Okay. I'm, I'm get got the woman in my ear telling me how much time is left. Uh, go to the blog if we want to continue this conversation. I guess we're going to have to continue this conversation more next week. Listen to your own show from yesterday if you haven't. And uh, go to a couple of the links that will leave you on a little cheerier note as well. I've got a funny piece and I've got some new music from Jezebel's for you to check out as well. The caller who's online, please call again next week. We will continue this conversation. It's going to be next Wednesday again. Um, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific. I will go for the full hour and a half next week, and we will take up North Korea. I've got a couple more aspects of the sense of life to discuss, and we'll do some summing up as well. So sorry, everyone. Had to cut it short. We'll continue next week. Take care.